Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Heavenly Father, we come before you, Lord, with bowed heads and humbled hearts and contrite spirits. Thanking you once again, Lord, for another day not promised to us. Lord, we ask that you forgive us of our sins and our iniquities and our shortcomings and our transgressions and those things that place a veil between you and us. Lord, I'm grateful for this time you've given me with my brother and sister, Lord, that we have yet another day to partake in your word, that we may be edified, Lord, and share your gospel with this lost and dying world. And we just ask, Lord, that we can be those burning lights for you. We ask that what you tell us in darkness, that we have the boldness to shout from the rooftops. Lord, and we just pray that we have more fear of you and less fear of the world. Because, Lord, that's the only way that we're going to truly serve you in your love. That's the only way we're ever going to believe, Lord, and have your faith. That we know that aside from you, we can do absolutely nothing. So we just pray that we get rooted and grounded, Lord, that we just chew up your word. And, Lord, that you just can just give us the nutrients, Lord, that we may bear more fruit. Because, Lord, this is a time of fruitfulness. This is a time of a great anointing. This is the time of the latter rain that you just want your people to understand where they are. Well, Lord, tonight we just ask for your spirit of teaching that no flesh be glorified, that no man's heart be heard, Lord, but by your spirit, that people will hear the news, Lord, and that they will receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. So, Lord, I just pray just for this boldness. I pray for this understanding. I pray for this wisdom. I pray for the counsel, Lord. I pray for the spirit of might, Lord, and the fear of the Lord to overcome your people. I pray for my brother Michael Adams and his illness. I pray for my brother Ethan and all he's going through. I pray for my brother... uh, Brian, Lord, and everything that he's going through. And for those who couldn't be here today, Lord, I pray that you continue to watch over them, that you use them as ministers of you, that they may go and preach and teach the gospel. Lord, I just pray in Jesus' name that you bind every foul spirit, every demonic spirit, every spirit of error, contention, or confusion, every spirit of jealousy, malice, and hatred, all spirits of fear, doubt, and unbelief, I pray in Jesus' name that you bind them this very moment, that they have no way in, that the Holy Ghost will fall on your people mightily, that we may all be drenched in your spirit, that we may all, Lord, illuminate the world with your gospel. And I just pray and I ask that all these things be done, Lord, for your glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Tonight's uh, topic, I think, is going to be a really important one that we can all learn from and go forward in because it's so funny. I was advised by one of our elders, March, about three years ago to do this teaching. And, you know, it's so funny because when she asked me to do one, it's funny when you're young in ministry because you start thinking like you don't want people to tell you what to do. You know, because at that time, my mind was on other things. I'm trying to go out there and expose how science and the bathroom and all these other things are going on. 
when really, you know, I should have just been starting with the basic principles of what God commands us and tells us to do. So tonight's study is going to be called Sin, Transgression, Iniquity, and Wickedness. Sin, Iniquity, Transgression, and Wickedness. It's important, and I was advised by an elder years ago that I should teach on this. But like I said, these words didn't really mean much to me at one point. But man, you know, it's just so important when you realize, when you pay attention to the small stuff, how much that you can build on and learn from and grow with. And I don't think at the time a few years ago that I really understood the importance of these things, but I'm glad that I do now. Because if you were to ask people what sin is, people would list things that are sinful, but they would not tell you exactly what sin was. If you were to say to people, what is sin? They'll say adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lies, you know, deceit and all this other stuff. But that's not, that. those are types of sins, but that's not sin. Sin itself means to miss the mark. That's all it means. And when you think about it, that's kind of frightening in some ways because God can be telling us what to do on a daily basis through his spoken word and through his written word. But if we don't do those things that he asked us to do that we read and we understand, it's considered sin. If God tells you he wants you in prayer right now and you say, Lord, I don't have time, I'll do it later, that's sin. Okay, so it's important that we understand this. If God tells you he wants you to minister to that person right now and you don't do it, that's sin. Even the Bible tells us, I believe it's in uh, Romans 10 or maybe Romans 13 or 15. I can't remember, but it says that which is not of faith is sin. So when you think about that, whatever you don't have faith in God to do or to believe, this is considered sin. So that's important that we recognize anything that's off the mark from God is sin. And all of the names that I mentioned just now, iniquity, transgression, and wickedness, they're all, they're all lined up with sin. But what we're going to do tonight is break down these different types of sins so that we know what they are. The second is transgression. Now, when you go into transgression, some people may think that transgression is just, you know, a, a type of sin. It is, but it's willful sin. It's sin that um, you already know what is right and wrong and you go forward with it anyway. Okay, so... We were transgressors even before we knew God. You see what I'm saying? Because God had a perfect law for his people, but we were living the way that we wanted to. But once God has made it known to us, this is sin, then the second stage is, do we transgress or do we fall in line with what God wants? Okay, so transgression is willful sin. You know what the truth is because it's been revealed to you, but you go forward anyway. Okay, and... The third, which I think we're going to be talking a lot about, and as a Christian, you'll only go but so far till you truly understand what is iniquity. Iniquity is the biggest problem for any Christian's life, even someone that's been baptized in the Spirit. They still have their problem with iniquity. What is iniquity? Iniquity means twisted up, perverted. It's a part of your nature. It's what we inherited from Adam. And tonight, we're going to break down. You see, you can have sin because sin is the uh, 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 anything against God, okay? Then you have transgression, which is willful sin. After you know, you still go and do. But man, the mystery of all sin 
is iniquity because iniquity is that which is in you that causes you to do one or the other. The reason why we were sinners before we knew God was because of iniquity. The reason why we transgressed after we knew what sin was is, is iniquity. So iniquity is the cause of really all sin because it's the very nature you have before you're born again and you know God. So we're going to break these down tonight and we're going to explain them. What keeps a person drinking even though God told them, you know, well, you shouldn't be drinking with the drunken. You shouldn't be drunk and doing this and that. What keeps a person getting drunk and making excuses for being drunk? Iniquity. You see, transgression is what he's doing. Iniquity is why. So that's important that we understand why we don't obey God. So we can go into sin. We can go into transgression. But we're going to put a lot of emphasis on iniquity. And wickedness is probably the worst of it all. Because wickedness is when you have no desire to follow God. Wickedness means, man, I'm going to go my own way. This is what I'm doing. I don't care. So again, I'm going to break it down. Sin is to miss the mark. Transgression is willful sin after you've already been made aware of it and you go forward anyway. But the reasons why is iniquity. And if we don't deal with the iniquity, then comes wickedness, where it becomes so a part of your nature that you hate God. That's almost reprobation. You see what I'm saying? You may have wicked works, but when you're someone of wickedness, then that means that it's a part of you and you have no desire to depart from it. So that's important that we understand these things. So let's get started. Let's go to Psalm 32. Let's go to Psalm chapter 32. Does everybody understand so far? Any questions on that? It's important that we understand these things because some people think these words are the same, but they're not. Because when you look at them, they're used inter interchangeably in the Bible. Okay? So you know that they're not the same. You know, you even think about what made Adam and Eve sin and what made them fall iniquity. Because they listened to the lie of the serpent, even though they were made good. After they were already told. So what did they do? They sinned because they engaged the serpent and were enticed by him. And then, well, sin was when they took a, a, a bite of the fruit and did what they did. But God told them not to. So that also makes them transgressors. But what made them do it after they had partaken of the fruit and God had to kick them out was iniquity and wickedness. So it's important that we totally understand what these things are. Because you can use any example in the Bible, any type of sin whatsoever, and God will still do a thing to make it happen. So again, it's sin, transgression, iniquity, and wickedness. So we're going to get started in Psalm 32. What's up, bro? Psalm 32, and this is verse 1. And it says, Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no guile. So as you can see, there are different levels here. One, he says, blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven. That means someone that knows God's word and has the, the you know, what you can say, nerve, okay, to go and do it anyway, knowing what God says. He said, man, that man is blessed when your transgression is forgiven. Then it says whose sin is covered. So the sin is the whole act of what's being done. And that's what's, you know, if God covers it, that means that he gets rid of it. Verse 2, or, or a person that doesn't ask for forgiveness. It says whose sin is covered. 
Sometimes we try and cover up sin instead of confessing it to God. This is two. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputed not iniquity and in whose spirit there is no guile. So as you can see, guile is something that you can't really point a finger on. You know, guile is not like fornication. You know, guile is not like murder or any outward sin. Guile is a, a, a nature within where you want to deceive, where you want to manipulate and try and get people to do things. You can't exactly see that till it comes to the surface. But what makes a man do that is iniquity. Does that make sense? So then he says, when I kept silence, my bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night, thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned into the drought of summer Selah. I acknowledge my sin unto thee, and mine iniquity have I not hid. I said I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So, you know, verse 5 puts it all together. He says, I acknowledge my sin, that's what I did, unto thee, unto God, and mine iniquity have I not hid. So, Lord, I'm a sinner. See, it's one thing to sin. It's another thing to admit that you are a sinner. When you admit that you're a sinner, you're not hiding your iniquity and God can work with you. Okay, you recognize you're messed up in what you're doing. So now I can come and give you what you need. Okay, so does that make sense? Sin is what you do. Iniquity is the reason why. And then he says uh, in verse 5, he says, I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So he's, first, he's one saying, Lord, I know that I've done things that you told me not to do. I'm confessing those things before you, that I've transgressed. I knew better. And then he says, and thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. So you see, iniquity is the driving force behind all sin, whether it's transgression or whether it's just a Mr. Mark. Those things have all to do with iniquity. For this shall every one that is godly pray unto thee in a time when thou mayest be found, surely in the floods of great waters. They shall not come nigh unto him. So everyone that is godly should be praying this way. And that's why you notice when we get started with every study, you know, the Lord will tell you, I mean, what I pray out is, Lord, forgive us of our sins, iniquities, transgressions, and shortcomings. Why? Because they're all not the same. There are things that God told us not to do that we do daily, knowing that he's against it. And then there is the iniquity is the purpose of why we're doing it. So what do we need the Lord to do? Pluck us up by the roots that he can put new seed that we can be born again and bring forth those peaceable fruit in God. Iniquity is the deadliest of it, of it all because you don't even know it's there. You've been bad. You've been wicked. You've been man for so <coughs> excuse me, for so long that you don't even recognize that there is iniquity. You know how some people would say, well, how could you do that? I always do that. Yeah, but don't you think, look, all I know is I've been on my own since I was 16. I take care of me and I do what I need to do. That's iniquity because they don't even recognize that there is another way to live outside of this. Iniquity is the last thing to come out of a person. All right, so he says in verse seven, thou art my hiding place. Thou shalt preserve me from trouble. Thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance, Selah. So he wants to hide in the Lord. He wants to be preserved from trouble. 
And then he says, thou shalt compass me about with songs of deliverance. And that's why it's good to have praise and worship. You don't realize the amount of iniquity or the amount of wickedness they can flee from you that you have clung to you from the world. That's why when you go and you put on your praise and worship, you're in a different place, or you put on a, a good, you know, gospel message or sermon, and you just feel like, oh man, you know, like I can just escape. I feel like now I'm back where I want to be. So this is what David is trusting in the Lord to do. He says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Be ye not as the horse or as the mule, which have no understanding, whose mouth must be held in with bit and bridle, lest they come near unto thee. Many sorrows shall be to the wicked. That's the other word. But he, shall, but he that trusteth in the Lord, mercy shall compass him about. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, ye righteous, and shout for joy, all ye that are upright in heart. So you see, when we're upright in heart, we should be rejoicing in the Lord. What can affect our prayer and our worship life can have a lot to do with iniquity. You know, there are some things that God commands us to do that we just don't feel like doing. I mean, you know it's the right thing to do, but you just can't. For whatever reason, the Lord says, I want you praying most of the day today. And what will we do? Oh, man, you know, like, I'll do that, but I'll put on something else, too. Or I'll get back to it later. Or the Lord tell you, stay down on your knees and pray, and you get up within three minutes, and you feel like you've done your duty, and you just walk around wandering. That could be a part. That's a part of iniquity, okay? So we need to draw closer to God and do the things that he says. So let's go to um, let's go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is another example. And then we're going to jump right in after that. But iniquity is the deadliest of it all because in most of my walk, I've dealt with sin. You know, I've dealt with transgression and things like that. The Lord's improved. But one thing that can keep you from going forward in Christ is iniquity. You don't even know it's there unless the Lord reveals it to you. There's things where you say, all right, I'm not going to be a part of worldly stuff anymore. I'm just going to move on. Now, you said that because that's what the word says. And you said you're going to do that because that's what you know God wants for you. But what keeps you from doing it? The very nature that you have in you that is not like God. That's iniquity. All right. So um, this is uh, Psalm 51. Everybody understand so far what the difference is? You know, sin, Mr. Mark. Iniquity, that is a nature that you have that is against God. And transgression means willful sin. You know the truth, but you still go forward anyway. That's transgression. And wickedness is if nothing is done about your iniquity, that's the state that you become. You become an enemy of God. Yes, sir. I'd like to give an example on that. I was talking to you about this earlier before Bible study. But <clears throat> at work today, we had a situation where two people ended up getting into it. Got into a verbal argument over something that happened, and it actually got pretty heated. The argument did, and one guy in the argument he shoved the other guy, and then when one of the, the supervisors came up and she tried to break it up, he ended up shoving her too. So he got let go today. And when I found that it, it part out, I was just thinking to myself, I was like, you know what? Praise the Lord that that kind of anger is not in me like it used to be. I mean, I don't think I would have shoved the person anyways, but, you know, that's, when you see people without Jesus Christ, that's how they respond to things. And that kind of, like, violent, emotional 
dramatize anger. They will just start yelling at each other and start pushing one another because Jesus Christ doesn't doesn't reign in their life. And see, that's a great point because you got to know when you go out and you minister and you talk to people about the Lord, the Lord never commands you will cover your face in case they spit in it. You know why God would allow them to spit in your face? Because God needs to know if there's any iniquity there. He didn't tell them to do that. But I'm saying if it does, or if you get brought to the brink of what is, that's why the devil did what he did to Jesus. When he was on the cross, the devil was hammering him, spat on him, humiliated him. Because what the devil was trying to find is, is there anything in you that is not like God the Father? I've got to know, because if you lash out, even if Jesus would have gritted his teeth at them, like, you know, let's just say they hit him with the thing and he would have, oh, God forgive, if he would have done that, like he was getting ready to strike back, but stop, that's iniquity, okay, because he was made to be the sacrificial lamb, so God would allow things like that to happen to us, because God needs those things out of us, God needs to know that you truly do love, not just your friends, but even those who would spit in your face and do the things that they do and you not respond in, in um, violence. He told them that in Luke 6, that if they do this, that you ought to bless them that curse you, you know, love them that despitefully use you. But what was he saying? So that they may or we may be the children of the highest. I know that the Lord is working on me, but I'm just saying overall, God will allow things like this to happen because he needs the iniquity out of you. Because when sin shows up to show you who you are, you know, it'll happen. If you say, hey, we need more prayer, we need to do this, and people start fighting the process of prayer, or, you know, I don't think you need to pray for God, love, that's iniquity. Because if the instruction came from the top, pray, then pray. And see, that's how we can be so far from what God wants if we don't yield everything to him. When he says, present your body a living sacrifice, and you know, you get a sacrifice on the altar just laying there, that sacrifice ain't saying, will you hurry up? You know, I got some time or something to do. Or can you just sacrifice me very little right now because I don't know if I can handle it. Hey, a living sacrifice is a living sacrifice. You lay down your life like Jesus did that people may be saved. That's what this is about. Totally about. So this is Psalm 51. Let's look at verse 1. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Now, you remember, David did this because he had, um, this is right after Nathan the prophet confronted him for, for going and killing a man for his wife. Okay, so David is saying, blot out my transgressions. Now, you know that David knew it was wrong. At this point, David was the beloved, and he still went forward and killed this man. So that's transgression. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Because without iniquity being dealt with, sin will endure. Okay? Sin may take on a new form. That's why you find people, when they stop smoking, what do they eventually become? Gluttonous. Okay, now that I'm not smoking anymore, I need something else in my mouth, so I'll eat myself to death. That's still iniquity because these are things in you, all it did was take another form. You know, you didn't give up sin or, or you didn't give up addiction. What you did was find something else to be addicted to while you tried to drop that. So you see, if you don't deal with addiction, addiction is part of iniquity. Yeah. Really, the demon of smoking is the demon of addiction, so it latches from 
smoking to being a glutton. It, mm-hmm. just, it just changes its form. Exactly. So it if you, okay, that's why you, you I'm, if I can't get you to smoke, I'm going to have you be obese. Mm-hmm. Exactly. That's what demons do. I know two demons that are um, very similar. Uh, demons, oh yeah. The demon, and I just talked about this, the demon of lust, because I remember when I had it, the demon of lust and the demon of gluttony are the same. That is what I can tell you outright, because the reason is, if you don't deal with one, the other perks up on you. So yeah. that that's very true. So he says in verse 4, against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and clear when thou judgest. So we got to recognize too, when he says against you and you only, Lord, have I sinned, that's what every sin is. And you see, this is the difference between regret, remorse, and repentance. One is fleshly, the other is in the soul, and the the other is in the spirit. You can only experience repentance with, what do they call it? Godly sorrow. You got to recognize all sins you commit are against God first and foremost. You might punch somebody in the face in anger, but who did you sin against? God. So you see, you may apologize to the person, but see, apologizing to them and saying, hey, I'm sorry I did that to you, that doesn't deal with the problem. But when God shows you the iniquity within that you have sinned against him, then you, oh God, please make me different than that. Take away the anger that is in me for what I have done so I don't disgrace you again. You see, it all goes back to the source of God. Unless you recognize that on a daily basis, that it's God you sin against, you'll never be brought to godly repentance to stop doing everything that you're doing because you'll be thinking about what you've done to the person, and that's great. But what is the first and great commandment of the law? To love love thy Lord, to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, thy soul, thy might, and thy strength. Exactly. So that's, that's what God wants us to do is to love him first and foremost. You have sinned against God. Anything that we do. It's not just person to person. So he says that he wants these things removed from him. So when God judges, you know, and speaks, that it'll be clear. Look at verse 5. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Now, does this mean that David's mom was a harlot? Does it mean that, you know, his parents were not married? No. This is talking about the very nature of Adam that we are born with right out of the womb. No one tells a child to be, you know, um, selfish. Children are selfish by nature. Look at the manipulation that goes on when a baby wants you to pick them up. It's something they pick up by nature. I'm not saying a baby shouldn't be picked up because he's got needs, but every parent knows babies will play that game until you say, no, I'm not picking you up this time. You're going to have to learn to sleep, and you'll find the baby will eventually stop doing it. But if you pick that baby up every moment, it gets so bad to the point that where you decide to put them down and relax, they're crying, and then you got to pick them right back up again. So, you know, it's something that we've got to learn, that even manipulation starts in early childhood. This isn't evil of me speaking. I know babies are babies, and they're ignorant, and they need their mom. But even from the womb, they learn how to be manipulative. That's just a part of the, of the iniquity within. So he said he was shaping in iniquity. And in sin did his mother conceive me. Verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, but in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. So deep down inside, David wants the desire to be made righteous in God. 
but you're only going to find that wisdom where? In the spirit. That's why he says, uh, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, but in the hidden part, thou shalt make me to know wisdom because it has to be a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection. Inwardly, you know, like inside, I want to be different. But the only way that's going to take place is a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection with God. That's what it means to be born again. Other than that, everything else is just soulish. So he says, purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, these words may not seem a lot to a person that has followed the Lord all their lives and done the things that they've done. Even though the Bible tells us we all fall short of the glory of God. There were times, man, and I've transgressed or I've sinned or I went back to something God didn't tell me not to. And I'm telling you that feeling in verse 8, make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones of that which thou hast broken may rejoice. You want to be in God's favor so bad that you don't want to disobey him again. One day I walked by a woman. This was messed up. I got off from work and I'm walking. I got off the bus and I'm heading down, like heading home. And I couldn't wait to get home. And there was a woman there that was just sitting there looking like she was really upset. And the Lord said, I could hear his voice, go and speak to her. Talk to her for me. Let her get the gospel. And I'm looking at her and I'm looking at the time. And I just kept walking. Man, I felt something grip my stomach to the point that when I got almost home, I almost could have fell over and died from the shame of not doing what God says and he commanded me to. I felt so convicted in my conscience that it was just, oh God, you know, like, Lord, forgive me. But it was almost like I was afraid to do it or I was too busy to hear God. So then he says, hide thy face from my sins and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. So first he's asking the Lord to take away his iniquity. Then he says, clean his heart. Because that's the problem. The problem is, that's why Jesus said, if you love me, obey my commandments. He didn't ask you to feel it. Why? Because it's a heart-to-heart -heart thing. If I do this, I'm hurting God. If I do this, I'm grieving the Holy Ghost. We don't think like that. We just think, oh, well, God, I understand, you know, because he's working with me. But see, your heart is not connected to his because all you're thinking about is how you can get over. But have you ever really just sat and thought about, Lord, Am I hurting you with this? Are you bothered by this? That's important because if you recognize that God is someone and not something, then you can really understand, man, if I do this, this is what's going to happen. If you're married and you cheat on your wife, what is that? You see what I'm saying? You weren't thinking of her. That's the same way God feels. But what can bring you to love a woman and then cheat on her is because you don't really care what she's thinking at the moment. You're thinking about filling self. But if you can, um, you know, think about, well, yeah, this woman is attractive, but I got a wife, man. I got kids. I can't, man, I can't hurt her and destroy our family like that. I love her. See, that's the kind of response that we should have towards God. But we look at God as something and not someone. Well, he's up there in the heavens and he's almighty. I'm sure he'll understand because after all, he's not here anyway. But when you have a heart to heart connection with God and you know he's watching everything you do and everything that you say, and you know from getting to know God that he's been good to you, then you want to be equally as good to him. You want to be as faithful to him as he is to you, which is impossible. 
but you'll still be more faithful than you were before with growth. And that's why when people argue about not doing what God says and all that, man, there's, there's the problem in the heart because no one has to tell you to love your kids. No one has to tell you to love your wife. No one has to tell you to, to love the things that we hold dear. But when we got a problem with God's word and against what God wants, man, that's a heart-to-heart -heart matter. That means that God is calling for you and you're just cold. Well, you'll understand this time. I'll get to you when I have time. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be intimate with him, to know him. To know God and to draw closer to God is to, is, I mean, to know God is to love God. The more you know about God, the more you love him, the more you recognize he's allowed you to live your life as long as you have, and he has not judged you according to what your sins deserve. Man, that is God. So the more you know him, you draw closer. The more you love him, you draw closer. Because, man, I'm recognizing that God is everything to me. Remember in John 6 when Jesus told the disciples, you know, when he said, will you guys be going to? See, when Jesus told them in John 6, if you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have everlasting life. He was talking about a connection. He was talking about Christ in you. He was talking about having the spirit, being in the image of Christ, that you could be resurrected on that last day. But those guys said, man, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? Because they didn't have a heart after Jesus. They didn't want Jesus. They wanted what they could get from Jesus. That's a big difference. Those men, even though he performed miracles and, and pleaded with them pretty much to come with him and gave them all means of understanding, they still went their way. Why? Because of the iniquity within. And what happened? Those disciples, they walked away and didn't want him no more because he was asking to be closer. Isn't that messed up? You know, he, he was only, I only like my wife because she gives me sex and she cooks. But when she talks about being, you know, together and doing things together, man, I don't have that kind of time. She wants to draw close. It's time to get out of here. You know, that's crazy to even think of that. But, you know, it's the same thing with God. Draw closer. But what did Peter say? Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. We are sure that thou art he, the son of the living God. Peter and the boys came to a conclusion. Man, you're everything. I got a wife back home, but I'm focused on you. I have forsaken all to serve you. Because you're really who it's about altogether. Unless we feel that way with God, we still got iniquity within. And that's okay. He's going to work it out. So he says in verse 10, create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. So he's asking to be restored in the Lord from what he did. And look at verse 13. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Why then? Why, can, why would he be able to talk to a transgressor about coming to God? Because he wouldn't have that same nature. You see, when our obedience is fulfilled in Christ... Then we can go and revenge all disobedience to people because then we won't have a double life. We won't be halfway in and halfway out. We can tell people they need Jesus with our words and we can be very sincere when we say it. But the only thing that's not riding in those words that we speak, although those words are true, is not the truth in us. That's important to understand that because if God's truth is writing behind what is being said, then it's just like God talking. 
But if we um, say one thing and do another, that's not God talking. That's you trying to convince somebody to do what's right, but you don't have the life in you to convince someone because you're still doing it. So God wants to make us over from the inside out that we don't do these things. Okay? So that's why he says, man, when God has worked with him, then he can tell the transgressors and they will convert. Verse 14, deliver me from blood guiltness. O God, thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. And that's what the devil tries to do all the time is make you feel guilty. That's not talking about pointing out sin. There's a big difference between, you know, guilt because of sin and guilt because of um, the devil trying to put it on you. There's a big difference. If you're walking in the ways of Christ, then everything that's being said tonight or in other teachings or whatever past you sit in front of, when he speaks of sin, if it's not of you, what do you care? You know, amen. Praise the Lord. Yes, yes, Lord. Yes, yes. I understand why. Because it's not of you. When we get offended with the gospel, it's because it's something we're not doing. You'd never believe how many times I preach the gospel about the Lord telling me to do things. And it's cutting my own guts out because I'm sitting there preaching on slothfulness. And I'm like, man, who have I ministered to this week? So the Holy Ghost has a way of taking a mirror and putting it in front of you while you're talking. And the whole time you feel like, uh, uh, yeah, you know, because God wants us, you know, we got to do what God says. But see, but when you speak with that conviction about the slothful will not eat and this and that, that's because you're standing on the truth. So you see, we've got to have the truth in us through and through. But those things will not occur until iniquity is taken from the midst. That's why he calls it the mystery of iniquity. Because man doesn't know for the longest, what is making me do what I'm doing? Why am I, why are my thoughts so different to God? Even when I hear the truth, why can't I carry it out? Iniquity. That's the problem. All right. So he says in verse uh, 15, O Lord, open thou my lips and my mouth shall shew forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, look at God's sacrifices, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou will not despise. So you see, God doesn't like proud. Remember it says, he resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Jesus said, those who elevate themselves shall be abased. We're going to get examples of this tonight because... Iniquity is a dirty thing when we come in with pride. And remember that story where the guy said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then another guy said, I pay my tithes. I do this. I do that. But thank God I'm not like this sinner over here. You see, that's iniquity because you don't even see what's in you while you're talking about him. That man can confess, I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. But this person is, well, I got A, B, C, and D, right? So, Lord, I just need you to put the little cherry on top so that I can be what you want me to be. You're not having a realistic look at who you are, you know, because if you did, those words wouldn't come out of your mouth. All right. So anyway, verse 18, do good and thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shall thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. So what is David talking about? Even back then, it's funny how Levitical law played a role in today. David is talking about making himself right in this psalm before the Lord, before he offers the burnt offerings. 
you know, and that's why we've got to be made right in Christ towards our brother and towards, you know, those things that we have in us so that we can present our bodies the perfect sacrifice. Okay, now a sacrifice, a perfect sacrifice to God is to lay yourself on that altar, you know, holy and what did he say? Um, holy and acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. Lord, this is my body. You do whatever you want with it. That's that's the, the perfect sacrifice that God wants us to give. But instead, we give tithes, we give offering, we give different things, but we still don't want to give ourselves. All God wants is you. And there is no New Testament tithe. I'm not going into that tonight. But a lot of people will pay their tithes and they still remain the same in their lives because they have no desire to change. They think by dropping 10% in that bucket that they're doing something for God. And it doesn't even just go like that. It could be people holding, holding Bible studies or doing whatever. You think you're serving God with doing certain things right, but there's other things within you that are not right. That doesn't make it a perfect sacrifice. A perfect sacrifice is one that yields his will to the Lord that God can do what needs to be done in us. Why? So that when we present, it'll be suitable for God to use. Imagine us laying on an altar and God gets ready to come and enter you and you, all right, Lord, you can take my arms, not my legs because I still got places I want to go. Well, I'll give you one eye. All right, I'll give you my mouth half the day, but then I'll keep it for myself the other half of the day. That's why he said when you pour new wine into an old wine jar, they cannot maintain. They will break under pressure. God wants to go one way. You want to go another way. So a lot of us won't get the spirit because we can't house the spirit because we're not presenting ourselves a sacrifice. So when we become that new creation of God, Lord, just take it all. He can fill that wine up to the top. Why? Because you will not move or shake. You'll go where God wants you to. And what did he say? Both are preserved. Why? Because they're both alike. But you can't be different from God and then want God to do his full will in you. That's why he talks about fleeing youthful lust and all these things in 1 Timothy chapter 2, because he says from there, you will be fit unto every good work. So he wants us to clean these vessels by just allowing the Holy Ghost to work. We don't have to do A, B, C, and D. Yield your will to God. Pray and spend time with him, and God will convict your conscience of what he wants and what he doesn't want. It's that simple with following God. It's not a whole bunch of rules and regulations. Don't do A, B, C, D. It's not even about that. This is all about giving your will to God. Of course, you read his word and you have understanding of God. You know what he wants and what he doesn't want. But it's all about spending time with him so we can be like him. No matter who we know in this life, whomever we spend time with, that's who we become like. It does not matter. You grow up in the hood. Chances are you'll have a hood-like mentality until you either grow up and get out of there or get some understanding. If you spend time with God, you will become more like God. It's that simple. So let's move on. Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. Anyone has anything to add that can? Right. Just go on. All right. So now you remember in Matthew chapter 5, we're not going to do verse 1, but from verse 3 to verse 12, reading your spare time when it says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, 
For theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are them that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. All these things that we're talking about here are fruit of the Spirit. This is all about what God grows in us, that we can have those, those fruit manifest. He says, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. As we talked about in that, that teaching, be ye perfect, for your Father is perfect. We've got to understand that no one can make you hunger and thirst after righteousness. That has to be a conscious decision that you make with the Lord, that he can make it work in you. You see, in order to thirst and hunger after God, you've got to want God. You've got to know God is right. You've got to see your need to be made whole in Christ. Outside of that, nobody can make you do this. A person can preach to you till, you know, 10 years from now, and you still, yeah, I hear you, but I'm living my life. Thank you. You've got to throw yourself before God. Lord, fill me. Make me right. I see where I'm wrong. Make me like you, Lord. You've got to want this. You've got to hunger and thirst. Lord, fill me. Lord, what you gave the apostles in the book of Acts, fill me. Lord, whatever you gave anybody that came after me, fill me. Lord, how could you give it to Henry Groover that proves your gifts are still alive today and not me? Fill me. You've got to want this with God. You've got to pay the price, the appropriate price that God can do these things for you. That's a, that's a nature. That's a spirit-to-spirit -spirit connection, heart-to-heart -heart connection with God. Nobody can do that for you. Okay, so verse 7, he says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. That pure in heart means to have a heart after God. And, you know, it's loving him and not the world. Yes, we live in the world. We do what we need to do in the world. But we can't have iniquity within. We can't have wickedness within. We can't have a spirit of antichrist within, you know, some things we want and not God. Look at nine, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, you know, it's beautiful if you go into verse 10, because all these things are speaking of your nature. He says persecuted for righteousness. How many times have we seen unrighteous things going on, but we don't have the guts to speak up? You know what's causing that? Iniquity. But if you're someone that's got what God says to have and the Lord tells you, go and speak up and you go and speak, chances are you'll be persecuted. Why? Because you're standing for what's right. And, you know, that's one thing we've got to get to that place. And is standing for what's right more important than our own safety, than our own well-being? I would have to say yes, because wickedness bears fruit. If, if you see evil going on and you do nothing, all it does is grow into more wickedness. Ask any parent that see their child, they see their children turning. They see their children headed towards whatever. Oh, now my child is eight years old and, you know, I allowed him to listen to some rap music, but now he's bringing in gangster rap and all these things are going on. Oh, well, you know, I don't want to offend him. He'll grow out of it. Then before you know it, he's robbing and killing and doing everything else, doing drugs, kicking your butt around the house. All these things going on because if you don't stop it where it is, if you don't have the guts enough to say what's right, all you're going to do is allow these things to bear fruit. And we can't do that, man. You know, that's what this is all about. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you uh, falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven. 
for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. So if we call ourselves standing for Christ, we've got to be this way. I got friends of mine calling me, man, I can't believe the amount of homosexuals that are here on the job. Man, they're just growing. Okay, did you minister to any of them? So then what are you coming to me telling me whatever for? But you see what I'm saying? They want to, oh yeah, look at all that. Look at that filth. Okay, did you talk to them about righteousness? Did you speak to them about Christ? But yet you're going to tell people all that, yeah, look at this, look at that. Well, since you got the truth, why don't you go and tell them? But as you can see, they don't. Why? Because they don't care. You know, they want to talk about it, but they won't do it. How you doing, guys? Yes, yeah, sorry. All right. Me. Yeah, no problem. Good to see you. You know, so tonight we're talking about sin, iniquity, transgressions, and wickedness. We're in uh, Matthew chapter 5 right now. What a perfect week to talk about it. Yeah, I'll tell you. He's been putting it on me, and I'm tired of putting this study off, so, you know, praise the Lord. He's not with every study. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> so he says, um, let's go, let's skip to verse 19, Matthew 5 and 19. He says, whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men, so he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So as you notice, he's not looking for, you know, righteous works or, you know, you appearing on the outside righteous. He's talking about the righteousness within. He says your righteousness has to exceed the scribes and Pharisees. What did the scribes and Pharisees do? They appeared righteous. They knew the law. They knew everything, but they themselves couldn't be it. So he wasn't just addressing sin here. He's addressing iniquity. You know, the biggest problem that we have. So he said in verse 21, Ye have heard that it was said by them of old, Thou shalt not kill, and whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of judgment. So what would kill be? Kill is what? Sin, right? When you kill, you sin. Okay, then he says in 22, But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. So what is he talking about there? Iniquity. You see the difference? If you hate your brother without a cause, that's something within you, a very part of your nature that he wants to work out. So as you can see, sin is murder. Sin is to kill. The iniquity is what's causing you to feel this way. What's making you want to do this? So he's addressing one, sin, and then right he goes into iniquity. The Old Testament law didn't really deal a lot with iniquity. It dealt more with sin. Remember how they said without the spirit that it couldn't make you perfect? Well, what he's addressing here is the very sin that we can have within. Now, back then, Levitical law was... Hey, don't commit adultery. Don't do this. Don't do that. If you do it and people catch you doing it, we're going to stone you. And that was the answer to it. But see, man could not be made perfect unless iniquity was dealt with. So that's what Jesus is dealing with. He said, yeah, you guys know you're not supposed to kill. But I say unto you that he that hateth his brother without a cause is guilty of murder. So what is that? Iniquity. So then he says, um... Let's see. Uh, uh, oh, then he says, And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, 
shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother have ought against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way, and be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer the gift. You know why? He's looking for a pure heart. How can we say that we love God and hate our brother? You know, but that is that is the world as you know it. Oh, I love the Lord, but you got people deep down that you hate. What is he dealing with here? Iniquity. Yeah, it's nice of you to come and offer me a gift, but what about that person you haven't forgiven? What about that person who you really can't stand? God wants us to be pure through and through. He says, agree with thine adversary quickly while thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge and the judge deliver thee to the officer and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. And ye have heard it said by them of old time, thou shalt not commit adultery. So what is adultery? The sin. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her with, um, have committed adultery uh, with her already in his heart. So what is that? Iniquity. You guys see what he's talking about here? It's one thing to commit the sin. That's why a person, they always use the term for alcoholics, you can be a dry drunk. You know, a person may say, well, I haven't drank in five years. But yeah, is your heart still aching too? You see, that's the problem. That's the iniquity within. That's what makes you keep a little fifth of liquor in the counter, you know, somewhere just in case you can't handle it. So not committing the sin is not enough in God's eyes to complete the process of sin being eradicated from our lives is to deal with iniquity. All right. So then he says in verse 29, if thy right hand, if thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and not that thy whole body should be cast into hell. And it hath been said, Whosoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say unto you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causeth her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her that is divorced, committeth adultery. So once he's talking about the sin, but he's also speaking of iniquity. You know how many people are married but yet divorced? You know how many people are married and, and are looking forward to divorce? You know how many people are waiting for their husband to get old and die so they can inherit all the riches? You got this kind of stuff going on. So you see, marriage doesn't work if you're just somebody just looking for, you know, well, yeah, I'm married. I don't mean nothing. You could still be a fornicator. You could still be an adulterer. So God is dealing with the heart. And remember when they asked Jesus in Matthew 19, why did you do this? And Jesus said, oh, why did Moses give a writing of divorcement? He said, because of the hardness of your heart. But from the beginning, it wasn't so. Because God meant for whatever to be joined together to remain together. But it says here, saving for the cause of fornication. Now, there are no unreconcilable or irreconcilable differences in God's eyes that can't be dealt with. But let's just say in a rare case, your husband is really a down low brother. Okay, that he really likes men 
that you married him and you didn't know this. Now, you know, that's grounds for divorce, you know, because you're not going to stay married to someone if they're like that and they won't receive Christ. You didn't know, you know. So when he says saving for the cause of fornication, that's the Greek word pornia. You know, that could be sodomy. You know, there's some men that want their wives to perform these filthy acts and the wife don't want to do it. And husbands have been abusive and, you know, making them do things like that. But this also speaks of Old Testament law where if you marry a woman thinking she's a virgin, okay, and you find out she's been with a couple of people, that you can divorce her because you thought you were marrying a virgin. So there's different ways to go into this, but I'd suggest people take everything to the Lord in prayer. Yes, Sarah. <laughs> I'm just going to comment on this real quick because, you know, in today's modern times, you know, we have dating and, and dating is one of those necessary things today because you don't know who somebody is when you meet them anymore. Mm -hmm. And it's like, you got to get to know the person and you got to pray and you got to fast and you got to make sure this is the right person. But that's something that man started, not God. Because if you look in the Bible, outside of the Hebrew law of betrothal, you never heard of two people dating. You never, you never said Moses mm -hmm. took, you know, his wife out on a date to whatever or anything like that. It was always God put this man, this man to this woman uh, to marry, to wife, oh. and it was always so. I mean, the whole thing was Jesus being brought forth, the children of Israel being brought forth. Mm -hmm. But outside of that, you didn't hear a whole lot of this romantic love stuff that we've got going on in today's society. And if you look at the kids that are coming out of high school, most of them have already had two or three boyfriends and girlfriends slept with them by the time they graduate. And so how are you going to get married to somebody when you're just, you know, like you said before, your soul looks like Swiss cheese. And so you get married and you, you're like, well, I can get married. I, I, the, the, the famous saying was, I'll sow my wild oats. And then when I'm, you know, old and decrepit, then I'll get married because then I can be responsible. Yeah, yeah, it is It is totally demonic. And you see, that is the problem with dating. Because back then, fathers actually chose their wife, right. you know, or husband for whatever, for whatever purposes. But look at how, how respected the man was of the home to say, you know, let's see if your daughter's fit to marry my son. And they would get together and talk and, all right, it's a deal. And that woman, I don't know what the man probably was going to look like. But the bottom line is, this is your husband. You see, but you were commanded to do this where it was like, well, this is my duty, this is who I'm with, this is the old tradition. And I know some of y'all are thinking, thank God we ain't doing that anymore. I mean, but you got to be attracted to the person. But it's, Think about it, yeah. though, because you have young age, you have youthful lust. And let's mm -hmm. say I, was, I wanted to marry Deborah because I was attracted to her, but I don't understand all the stuff that she comes with. Maybe she had a boyfriend when she was younger, like this, this, that. Mm -hmm. So having my father with all this wisdom, you know, maybe has more relationship with the Lord than me, like an 18-year-old, mm -hmm. can seek the Lord for me, can fast for me, can talk to her dad and see mm -hmm. kind of her attributes, you know, what the qualities are. With that me, I'm just blinded by my, you know, quote-unquote love is what I think it is, but it's youthful lust. Mm -hmm. You know, that's, that's where it's like, man, I would want my dad to look out for me and pick my wife in that case. You know? Very true. And that's, yeah. that's coming from a mind of wisdom because he's right. When the patriarchs had the situation under control, kids don't know a lot. But you see, TV, as we talked about Sunday... That tells kids what to have an appetite for. Right. You know, this is considered beautiful, not this. So you see, when you have that, that also skews your thinking into judging with your eyes and everything else. You know, that's a great point that Sam brought up. 
it's, if you continue, like if you, if I do like her, you know, and if my dad approves, it's like a double whammy, you know. But he's like, hey, she's got this, this, and she does this. I'm like, all right, cool, thanks for looking mm-hmm. out, and maybe I'll be bought for like a month, mm-hmm. and then I'll be on to the next one. You know, you know how kids are in their mm-hmm. heart. You know, it's just always open, always, always. You know, there's at least I didn't. Open You're so my heart. right. Maybe you throw a few sheep on. Don't get out of here with that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, your heart is not right. <laughs> 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 I got more than teasing. Yeah, bro. About 31. Uh-huh. So, so this means that this this person wants to divorce his wife because he committed fornication. But because of that, it would cause her to commit adultery? Um, Except for the, the case of fornication. It's saving for the case of fornication. Yeah. Like, in case it's something like that, that, you know, something that really was bad. Like, the guy knew that his daughter was with all these men. Because back then, when men and women, con- you know, they um, consummate the marriage, you know, they had to have a sheet down. And if there was no blood on that sheet between the man and woman on that night, then they know that, hey, somebody got to that flower long before I did. You know, that's something that need to be... Exactly. So then they would figure it out. Okay, well, now we know. This ain't no virgin. You know, this needs to work out. Now, I know some people would say, listening to this, well, who is? Well, I want to tell you guys an interesting story about a woman that was... She was a prostitute. You know, she did drugs. She was involved in lots of homosexual relationships young and did all this stuff. And she found the Lord in her life. He preserved her. He gave her the man that she was supposed to be with. She waited a while to get married. And on her wedding night, can you believe that she bled? That's what she made clear, that the Lord restored her to the process of being a virgin, that he could make this happen. So you see, God can restore any situation if we just give it to him and allow him to work in it. So just because the devil took it away don't mean that God can't give it back. Because God has given us all something that the enemy has tried to take from us. Amen, but right. you know, this is what we're dealing with concerning iniquity. And look at verse 33. Again, ye have heard that it hath been said by them of old time, Thou shalt not forswear thyself, but shall perform unto the Lord thy oaths, thine oaths. But I say unto you, swear not at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, neither by Jerusalem, for it is the city of a great king. Neither shalt thou swear by thy head, because thou canst not make one hair white or black. So when people swear, you ever see a lot of people do this, well, I swear to God, I'm doing, you know, whatever, whatever. You don't have to do that, okay? Because to prove that you're right, he's going to make clear to let your communications be yay, yay, or nay, nay. You don't have to go to the extreme talking about, I swear by God, this and that. You don't have the right to swear by God because that is his throne, because he is a great king, you know, because this is all about serving God effectively. So for a person to swear is someone that should say, you know, well, I'm trying to prove myself aside from the truth. So you throw God's name in vain out there and we're not supposed to do that. You know, it's either yes or no, but we got to recognize in all things we do, we either glorify God or we don't. 37, but let your communication be yea, yea, or nay, nay, for whatsoever is more than these cometh of evil. Now, this is true. Let's just say Sam asked me, do I want to go to, uh, um, you know, prayer meeting? All right. Sam asked, hey, do you want to go? And I'm like, um, 
I don't know. Let me get back to you in a little while. I'll let you know and see. Now, deep mm-hmm. down, now we all we all can do that, but the Bible tells us not to. Why? Because deep down, I know if I want to go with Sam or not. You know, so That's why right. am I putting yeah. things on the side to say... If it's a well, no, it's a no, yeah. Exactly. If I can't, I can't. If I don't want to go, I don't want to go. But you see, now if Sam asks me and I say, let me think about it, then, exactly. Then it's like Tuesday comes and Sam's like, hey, um, did you hear from the Lord yet? Like, if you want to go or whatever. Um, well... I heard from the Lord, but I know what I want to do. So. Yeah, exactly. Well, I don't think, because, you know, I got this coming up, man. I got that. So what did I just bring to Sam? Strife. Because all I had to do was answer the question, but now he's hung up wondering, all right, is he going to go? Is he not? Should I make plans for him or not? You know, maybe he will. Maybe he won't. That brings strife. Just be upfront. Yes, I'm going. Yeah, no, I'm not going. Okay. That's how we need to be honest with people, but we're into the maybe generation today. And to backtrack with the divorce, isn't it also, I read another verse that it's if somebody abandons you, it's abandonment in mm-hmm. addition to adultery? Then you're free to go. Okay. Yeah, that, uh, that, that is mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that if the unbeliever depart, you are not held in such cases. If they leave and they move on without you, you know, and they go on and get married, you are free to go. God's not going to have you bound to someone that is married off and don't want to be with you. Pretty much adultery, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, yeah, that's a great point to bring up because some people would be wondering about that. This is verse 38. You have heard it. You have heard that it have been said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say unto you that ye resist not evil, but whosoever shall smite thee on thy right cheek, turn to him the other also. So we got to understand what this is about. This, again, is talking about sin and iniquity. An eye for an eye, you hit me, I'm going to hit you back. You pick up something, I'm going to pick up something. You know, we're going to go at it. Hey, you hurt my mom, I'm going to come and get revenge on you. Now, that's the American way. You know, that's the worldly way. That's the way man sees it, protect your own. But Jesus tells us, dealing with the iniquity, hey, if a man comes and smites you on your right cheek, offer him the left. Why? He's got to deal with the iniquity within. Yeah, I learned that. We do, because you don't glorify God. And one thing we got to understand about the devil, we can't fight him physically. All you do is give him new life. Okay, so now that you're sinning and you're disobeying God and you're violent, I think I'll step into you now and fulfill more of my work. So to fight him is like fighting smoke without the spirit, because he's going to link to whatever nature you have. That's why Jesus said, the ruler of this world comes and he's got nothing in me. When he offered Jesus to to feed himself during this fast that Jesus was being obedient, hey, man, don't live by bread alone, but by every word of God. Well, throw yourself down, Jesus, and prove that you are the son of God. He said, what did he say? Get thee behind me, Satan, for I shall, what did he say? I worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Well, get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, to serve the Lord, the Lord your God. God. Oh, do no. not tempt the Lord that God. She's right. To throw you down. Yeah, the last one mm-hmm. was, uh, I'll give you all of these riches if you bow down to me. He says, get thee behind me. That's right. Get thee behind me because I worship the Lord that God and him serve only me. shalt thou serve. Yeah. So you see, Jesus had no iniquity. And that's why it was important that he wasn't born of a man because that same sin nature that David talked about in Psalm 51 would have come into Jesus. Jesus had no earthly father. And that's why in many ways he could walk this thing out better than we could. He we had, had no sin. Too. Exactly. This, this on Saturday, there was a guy that came to church and he was actually one of the, the members' kids. And 
uh, he uh, he was just he takes medicine and I guess he didn't take his medicine that day and he's like uh, maybe six foot five or something like that mm-hmm. and uh, we we're I was talking to one of the elders and he comes up behind me and makes a fist and strikes me in the back of the head as hard as he could well, was he like mentally well yeah he didn't have his meds but... so I turn around I look at him and he's I just I don't know what took over me. I didn't feel the strike. Like, I didn't feel, I didn't even tweak. I just simply turned around, and I grabbed him like this, and I moved him to the side, and I walked past him and addressed his mother. Mm-hmm. So, uh, in my physical, a response was, you strike me, I strike you back. That's right. Right? Mm-hmm. But I'm so glad that the spirit just, it was crazy, the confidence mm-hmm. and the direction of the spirit literally had told me the direction and it wasn't like usually how he speaks it was just like this is the only way to deal with this mm-hmm. and so uh, I was so glad that he did that because uh, because when you know flesh is a totally different thing handling a totally different way call the police hit him back blah 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 blah, blah. and um, and then uh, afterwards when I was thinking about it and how the spirit did that uh, it was like if I had returned a strike it would just been because he's possessed at mm-hmm. that moment. What mm-hmm. he just did was in possession, mm-hmm. right? And what the devil wants is a reaction, so then he has full control. Amen. That he's he's absolutely right because, you know, if you respond the way that it, we got to understand that one thing the devil waits for is iniquity. Yeah. He waits for iniquity. He may not be able to get you to sin daily, but he wants to see what is in you. Remember what Jesus said, Simon, Simon, Satan has come. He has um, wanted to sift you as wheat, but I prayed for you that your faith fail not because sifting through wheat is going through it. Let's see what's in here. Let's see what you got. Let's see if you really are like Christ or are you not? But he said, I prayed for you that your faith fail not. So the devil will do a lot of sifting and he could have been sifting sand. What did Jesus say? When an unclean spirit has gone out of a man, he walketh through dry places, seeking rest and finding none. Then he says, I will return into my house whence I came out. And when he finds the house swept and garnished, what did he say? He goes and takes seven other demons more wicked than himself. And the later state of that man is worse than the first. So we got to understand the unclean spirits are hanging around you. Yeah, you're not doing the same sins anymore, but they're still hanging out because they're waiting to get that reaction. It could have been a spirit of anger that was waiting to enter sin. It could have been anything. You know, and that's what we got to pay attention to, that we're in a warfare 24-7. It doesn't just occur when we think it's time to face the devil. The devil is trying to face you all day long. And what is he waiting on? Iniquity. He's waiting for that thing that is in you that is not Christ. That's why when you say, oh, man, I'm not cursing anymore. I'm doing good. Then the devil will come and try and do something, something to get a rise out of you to see if whatever is in you is still there. So we've got to learn. Just when you think you've got over lust, here comes that fine babe in the workplace. Oh, Martin, you're such a handsome man. You know, I just thank you for all that you do. And it could have been a day. Well, he says flee. He says flee. That's right. But it could have been a day that, you know. You see Martin coming out of the building naked. He was running. But it could have been a day, right? It could have been a day, though, that Martin and Laura could have had an argument, disagreement. But oh, you yeah, see, the devil weakness. always oh, yeah. sets up scenarios like, hey, um, I understand how you feel, Martin, because people got to understand the kind of man that you are. Hold on. 
You know, one just takes off and goes, exactly. But you see, that's why he tells us to flee. God does not call you a coward when you run away from temptation. Why? He's commanding it. He said, resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Free, flee youthful lust, flee fornication. God has no problem with it. One pastor had this happen to him. He was um, getting in his car after a spirit-filled sermon, got in his car in the parking lot. A woman came up to him while he was in the car and just like pretty much took her top off and said, what do you think of this? And he said he peeled out of that parking lot. <laughs> you know, he took off, but... Sometimes you've got to run from that, man. Man, the devil's got <laughs> yeah. so many tricks. you got to remove yourself from the situation. Yeah, completely, right, exactly. And he attaches to your feelings, you know, it's your emotion that he's waiting for a reaction for. It's that's not, right. It's not anything logical, you know. It's not, and that's why we've got to be dead to self and alive to Christ. Really when he to. says our lives are hidden in Christ, they've got to be. Lord, I'm only going to feel about this situation the way that you tell me to. Seriously. What keeps us from doing that? Iniquity. And I know what Sam's talking about. There's times, man, we've been teaching, and you, you guys know in the past, people have come in here and tried to tempt me, you know, tried to get me to respond. And I'm like, so, you know, that, that's cool, brother. So what we're going to go into here is this and that. And you can feel the Lord reinforce that peace over yeah. you. No one's going to get in here. You do what you need to do. Treat that brother or sister right and move on. Why? Because we got more at stake than trying to prove ourselves or fight for supremacy or do what we want to do. It's that iniquity, man. The word I was going to use is rights. You have to let go of your rights. That's right. The Holy Spirit can give you confidence and boldness, but you have to be able to say, I have no rights other than what you tell me to do. Amen. And it's funny he said that because remember we were talking about you know, presenting your body a living sacrifice unto God. A sacrifice does not have an idea of how long the sacrifice is going to be, what kind of sacrifice they want to have, or anything. You present yourself to the Lord, and you let him work. Can a dead man talk, right? That's right. Look at verse 40. He says, And if any man will sue thee at the law, and take away thy cloak, let him have that, I mean, thy coat, let him have that cloak also. And whosoever shall compel thee to go a mile, go with him twain. Give to him that asketh thee, and from him that would borrow of thee, turn not thou away. Ye have heard it said that it hath been, we have heard that it hath been said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemies, bless them that curse you, do good to them that hate you, and pray for them which despitefully use you and persecute you that ye may be the children of your Father which is in heaven. For he maketh the sun to rise on the evil and on the good, and sendeth rain on the just and the unjust. And you know what? If we get caught in our feelings and our emotions, that makes us idolaters. That's all a part of iniquity. We should feel what God wants us to feel. We should do what God wants us to do. Man, this is so important. Because we think about our little feelings. This person didn't speak to me. They don't like me anymore. I noticed they were looking at me kind of funny tonight. I don't know what they were thinking. But God continues to pour rain on the just and the unjust. I mean, you know, that's the goodness of God. That he can have people blaspheme him for years. And we'll sit there and, you know, and God will sit there and give them time with grace that they may grow, that they may come to him. But you see, to be children of the highest, we have to have pure hearts like this. But if we don't deal with that iniquity, man, we're going to have a lot. It'll be hard to do. Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7. You going to say something, Martin? 
Like I said, we all know what sin is, you know, but what really, what, what gives that sin power is iniquity. All right, this is uh, Mark 7. Let's look at verse 1. Then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And when they saw some of the disciples eat bread with defiled, that is to say with unwashing hands, they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except they wash their hands off, eat not, holding the tradition of the elders. And when they come from the market, except they wash, they eat not. And many other things there be which they have received to hold as the washing of cups and pots, brazen vessels, and of tables. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked him, Why walk not thy disciples according to the tradition of the elders, but eat with um, but eat bread with unwashing hands. So they're trying to do what? Pin sin on Jesus and transgression because you know what the law says. You know what the elders do. So why are you not doing it? Look at Jesus. He answered and said unto them, Well, hath Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. As it is written, This people honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Howbeit in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrines and commandments of men. For laying aside the commandment of God, ye hold to your tradition of men, as the washing in pots of cups, as many other such things like ye do. And he said unto them, Full well ye reject the commandment of God, that ye may keep your own tradition. So what Jesus is dealing with now is iniquity. They're trying to talk about sin and pots and cups. Wait a minute, what did David say in Psalm 51? That when your heart has been made clean, when you have been made whole, then you can bring transgressors unto God. So the very fact that these people were not pure in heart and they're trying to hold to outward appearance and some traditions, they're not understanding what God is telling you about loving him and loving your neighbor. So as you can see, there is iniquity here in the midst because they're trying to outwardly perform, but inwardly they know not the truth. They're not righteous men. They're trying to be self-righteous and trying to pin that on Jesus. But I love Jesus because he takes it from sin. All right, you guys are talking about some sort of sin and tradition. I'm going to take you to iniquity and, and expose to you what you do, okay, and why what your works will do won't work. They're still hanging to Levitical law. They're still clinging to tradition. They're still going with the law of Moses. And Jesus is coming with a whole new plan that man could be made whole body, soul, and spirit. So he's talking about their traditions and what they hold. What about the commandments of God? What about loving your neighbor? What about obeying God in all things, not just in some? What about obeying God in every walk of life and not just when people are around so you can appear religious? Okay, this is what he's talking about. Look at verse 10. For Moses said, honor thy mother and the, I mean, thy father and thy mother, and whoso curseth father or mother, let him die the death. But I say unto, but I say, if a man shall say it is father, to his father or mother it is Corban, that is to say a gift by whatsoever thou mightest be profited by me, uh, ye shall be free, and ye suffer him no more to do aught for his father or his mother, making the word of God of none effect through your tradition which ye have delivered, and many such like things ye do. So see these guys would say, you know, well, if, it, if they're doing something 
for their traditions that you can overlook the first commandment or one of the um, first commandments with promise, honor your mother and your father. You see what I'm saying? These people believe, well, those laws are only held for certain reasons. They can't be for everything. But Jesus is saying, you're making the word of God by none effect to dishonor your mother and father no matter what, knowing that what God says, he gave a commandment. So there are things in the Old Testament that, you know, we might not fulfill today or we might not keep up with because we're being changed by the spirit. But God never changes his word and what he wants for us to do. If he says, honor your mother and father, you honor your mother and father. Even if you disagree with them, even if they're unbelievers, I'm not saying to sin with them, but you still got to honor them even if you disagree. But some people will say, well, if it's only held in some cases and not in others, and that's not what this is about. What would you say the word honor means in that sense? Honor is man higher than respect. That means to give, you know what, let's look it up so we can get the proper um, definition on it. That's a great point. All right, what are we at? Uh, Mark 7? Because I don't want to put my spin on it. Let's get the definition. All right, Mark 7, which verse? Verse 10. Okay. Mark 7 and 10. So he says, honor. This is G5091. And it says, to estimate, fix the value for the value of something belonging to oneself to honor, to have in honor, to revere and venerate. So, you know, revere is like a kind of fear or to hold in reverence, you know, as someone that is important. And then it says, here's another one. And it says, as of great price, precious, held in honor, esteemed, especially dear. So you see, honor your parents is well above respecting your parents because Jesus showed us this by honoring his father. And as we honor, as he honored his father, he wants you to honor your parents. Why? So that your order will be right. That doesn't mean don't preach the gospel if they're unsaved. That doesn't mean go along with them and sin if they're unsaved. But you still got to honor and respect them, you know? And that's what this is about. Like deep in your heart. Deep, man. You know, you got to. And see, when they even talk about how a wife should reverence her husband, how the Bible says even Abraham's um you know, um, Sarah calling him Lord. He said, don't be surprised by that. You know, if you're the children of Abraham, but people will get offended by that. Why? Because of the iniquity. I don't want to serve a man. I don't want to do this. No, husband and wives are totally equal. They are in God's economy. They're equal the way that God tells them to be. They're equal with one as the head and the other has a different purpose, but they are not to be out of order with God. They each have a purpose in serving God and doing what he says. But, you know, a lot of men don't want to be the men that God tells them to be as a husband for a wife. A lot of wives don't be what God calls for her to be as a, um, towards her husband. And then because of that, you got discord. Why? Because a lot of it is ignorance. But in many cases, it's iniquity, even when the scriptures are brought and they still won't desire them. So that's something to think about. That's the same spirit that I see is moving into like homosexuality. Big time. It's the same exact, it's like it's identical yeah. to mm -hmm. women saying, I don't want to uh, submit to a man or I don't want that economy, God's economy. And then it's like homosexuality or like they're coming in and just kind of like saying, yeah, yeah, same, same here. Mm -hmm. Like we just don't want to do that. So we're the same. And it's like, it's such a familiar spirit of rebellion. It is. And it's, it's totally against God. So, you know, when we hear what God says, Reading God's word is just like God sitting here telling you himself. 
that's pretty much what it is. And it's like, if we go against his word, we're transgressors and we continue doing what we're doing. But the purpose why we won't obey is because of iniquity. You see, the sin is to not obey. The transgression is you know it, but you continue to go. And the purpose for all of this, iniquity. And if we keep it within us and it remains, then comes wickedness. When it's a part of your nature, you hate God, you don't want anything to do with God, and you just move off into reprobation. But we don't want that to happen. That's why we got to catch the iniquity within. Because when it talks about Pharaoh's heart being hardened to the place where he became unbelieving, even with all the miracles, when it says God, um, um, uh, what do you call it? Harden his heart. Harden his heart. It doesn't mean like God says, I'm going to make your heart hard so I can destroy you and show them. That's not what was happening. Exposure to God reveals the iniquity within. When God comes to us and tells us, when his spirit comes upon us, God, we're either going to get hard like clay, exposed to the heat of God, or we're going to melt like butter. If you're going to melt like butter, you'll obey. If you're not going to obey, you'll get hard like clay. So you see, exposure to God, the very fact that God told him to do something, told him, I'm not going to do it. You see, and that's where the hardness of heart comes in. Remember what we talked about last week, sin revives and you die. Once you hear the commandment of God, you're either going to yield to it and say, Lord, you're right, or you're going to stand there like granite. I will not be moved. And that's why Jesus said, if you fall on me, you'll be broken. But if I fall on you, I will grind you to powder. So it's better for us to fall on Christ and obey him because if he's got to come looking for you, it's not going to be pretty, you know? And that's the legs to take the lamb home. That's right. You think Humpty Dumpty couldn't be put back together again? You better give it to Christ. That's what this is about. All right. So he says... Um, so God God didn't harden his heart. Isn't that crazy? It's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, we well, you don't know how hard something is until it's tested anyway. Exposed to God. So it's like something might appear very hard, but then until you touch it, like you don't know if it's hard or not. So that exposure to God revealed whether it was hard or not. That's, That's a yeah. humongous debate in churches. Like, it why is. Why God harden Moses' heart? It's the mm-hmm. biggest, like, well, I don't believe in God or I don't trust God. All. It's, like a, it's like an excuse not to trust God all the way because mm-hmm. it's like, well, would God harden my heart or would God make me, you know, would he control me that way? It just didn't sound like God's nature. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I didn't, I didn't understand it, but I was like, Hey, who am I? That's God, you know? So he has, he has more than enough reason if he did, mm-hmm. uh, but explaining it where it's an exposure to God's purity and just God in his presence, mm-hmm. hardened his heart and took out what he already had in his heart. Absolutely. Because when you think about what happened to Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar was told that his, Empire would be taken over. Is that when he became an animal? Is that the guy? Yeah. yeah. He told his empire would be taken over. And what did Nebuchadnezzar do? He said, I'm going to build a, a big image, you know, and that everybody's going to come and worship it. He tried to resist God. And then when he found out there were some that believed God, he said, all right, anybody not obeying is going to be thrown in the fire. So God had to come and show him, I'm God. And for seven years, he was walking around like an animal. He had to be humbled. How many times have you thought you were talking to your brother and sister in the Lord only to find out when you mentioned scripture, they went off? You see, exposure to God is what brings these things forward. It shows you the iniquity within. It's one thing we could say, yeah, I know this is sin. It's just like somebody tell me, throw out your video games, even though you're using them for DVDs or whatever, throw them out. And I say, well, first of all, you got to understand what God is trying to say. You know, God can use anything to get to any person. That's iniquity. 
You see what I'm saying? I'm fighting to do whatever. And I, I don't care what this word says. I'm going to hang on to what I have. So exposure to God shows you what's in you. And that's why when the devil exposed all these things to Jesus, Jesus walked right through him. It is written. But my father is commanding me, I will obey. And we need to be the same. Yes, sir. Yeah. That is, is that this is something we talked about a while back mm-hmm. is like you know when you're interested in somebody like two people are wanting to date or whatever and you're interested and you talk about all these similarities that you have and then it's like alright now here comes the real you know oh, test yeah. of all tests and then you start talking about scripture and mm-hmm. bible and every the gifts of the holy spirit which the gifts of the holy spirit I think is like the key thing whether Two yeah. people are going to be together or not because the other person doesn't believe in that. It's just like, well, nice knowing. Mm-hmm. By the way, you might want to check into it because you know you can go to hell for that, and you leave them with that. But because it's like, no matter how much you like somebody, there's no. It it's got matter. to be you a mistake. You cannot afford to compromise what you believe. And sometimes you might be a little hesitant with it, like, okay, we've gotten this far, but then you're like. But here comes the real tester. Here comes the real whatever. There's a hold on. What's this far? This far must be Starbucks coffee. Huh? <laughs> These are great points because I remember okay. when I was younger. I think I was about 21. Um, there was a pastor Bernard in New York. He brought up a point where he talked about that. You know, he 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 was showing body, soul, and spirit. And the first thing he mentioned was he said, you know, body to body, you got a physical connection with this person. They're attractive. They think you're attractive and all this, and you guys are together. And then he, he went to the soul, and he said, you see, you know, you guys may have common interests here. You play piano. I do, too. You know, you history was your major. History was mine. And, you know, you speak a second language. I do, too. You know, and all this. And you got all this working, man. And it's like, man, we're going to be together. But I remember, man, at 21, he, pointed, he pointed to the spirit. And he says, you see, if you don't handle A and B... I mean, A and B are irrelevant when you end up dealing with this. He said, you're going to be dealing with this sooner or later. You're going to find out if there's selfishness in the midst of the person is, you know, believing in God or not. But isn't it funny how you think you got a good connection with a brother or sister? Man, bring up this word or something like that. When they stand against you, it almost changes your whole perception of what you think of them now or how they even look to you. So you've got to link spirit to spirit. That's how we link with God. What does the Bible say in John 4 and 24? God is a spirit. And them that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. It's not about your feelings, even though we all feel glorious things towards God. Excuse me. It's not about other things. It's about spirit to spirit with God. Do you obey? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So that's what it's really all about. It's a spirit to spirit connection. I agree. If you don't link with somebody in spirit... It's only a matter of time before you guys separate. Either you're going to join them in their hate-filled world or their world of antichrist, or you're going to bring them over with Christ, or you guys are just going to separate. There is no coming together in that unless you are both there. Mm-hmm. Only in the spirit you are truly connected with someone. I'm like other Christians, too. Like, you guys have the Holy Spirit? No. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> That's what Paul said. They, the, the disciples of John the Baptist said, we never even heard of there's the Holy Ghost. And he laid hands on them, and they spoke with tongues. They had the Spirit. All right, so this is verse 14. And when he had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing from without a man that entering into him can defile him, 
but the things which come out of a man, those are they that defile the man. If any man has ears to hear, let him hear. And what is he talking about? Sin? Is he talking about transgression? Is he talking about iniquity? You know, think about it. If it's within and it comes out, it's a part of your nature. Okay, so only that which is in us is what's going to come out. When that guy punched Sam in the head or did whatever to Sam, Sam didn't respond because violence wasn't in him anymore. But if it was, you would have saw a different reaction. It's the same thing for all of us. If we respond outwardly a certain way, it's only because of what's inside is manifested. If you take a seed and you put it in the earth, the only reason you get a tree or plants or fruit to grow out of that seed is it's already in the seed. Nothing is going to come out of a seed that isn't already God placed there or part of that thing. Yeah, Martin. So what, what happens to Sam actually can define science because it says that for every reaction is an equal and opposite reaction. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, mm -hmm. In this case, there wasn't an equal opposite reaction. It was more like a one in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Because we know behind every reaction, it's either of God or of the devil. Yeah. So even reactions have a source. You know, what they're breathed on. So yeah, that, that's crazy. true. The Holy Spirit just totally took over. I didn't even feel a thing. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, I'm going to do this. I mean, it's the Lord. Because Deborah wanted to get into her Taekwondo. I was there. <laughs> I was not there, but. Okay. <laughs> She's like, let me finish I still, like, don't, it still doesn't make sense. To me. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, but you got to get over I know, I know. Board, it is. Yeah. It's just, it's so God because mm -hmm. it's just. So, yeah, so true. That's right. We're going to actually tackle that too in this, you know. I mean, look at verse 17. And when he was entered into the house from the people, his disciples asked him concerning this parable. And he said unto them, Are ye also, are ye so yet, are ye so without understanding also? Do ye not perceive that whatsoever thing uh, from without entering into a man, it cannot defile him? because it entereth not into his heart, but into the belly, and goeth out into the draught, purging all meats. And he said, That which cometh out of a man, that defileth the man. For from within, uh, out of the heart of men, proceed evil thoughts. Now, you know, thoughts are abstract. Thoughts are spiritual, you know, whether it's positive or negative or whatever. Evil thoughts are not physical. So this is all a part of what's in iniquity. Adulteries, fornications, murders, those are sins. Thefts, covetousness, wickedness. All right, so thefts and covetousness are sins. Wickedness, iniquity, it's a part of the nature, or it's a part of a fixed nature. Then it says deceit, that's, that's iniquity. Lasciviousness, that's a sin, but it's also a part of a nature, an evil eye. So we all have eyes to see, but we all see things differently. Due to what? What's inside of us? I can look at a woman and say, that's a beautiful woman. You know, um, you know, she's a very beautiful woman. It means nothing by it. She's just a beautiful woman. Another guy will be trying to undress her with his eyes, talking about what he would like to do with her. You see, there's a difference between an eye that can just recognize beauty and another eye that is led unto lust. What's the difference? Iniquity within. That's the biggest thing. You going to say something, Deborah? No. Uh, Okay. No, right. So blasphemy, pride, foolishness, 
all these evil things come from within and defile the man. So that's important that we understand this. Romans chapter 1. So, you know, we all understand sin. There are times we have transgressed, you know, but iniquity is the biggest thing to deal with. Because once that's plucked up by the roots and God has given us his nature and filled us to where it's no longer a part of us. Pastor Price has said this for years. He says, you're not a sinner because it's what you do. You're a sinner because of what you are. This thing is organically grown. There is a nature. You're either a sinner or you're not. Sinners sin. Dogs bark. You know, cats meow. Pigs oink. Whatever. But you get it? They all do what's in their nature. Okay? So you don't sin because it's what you do. It's, it's a part of who you are. All right. Romans chapter 1. Did Anyone define, wants to add anything they can? Yeah. Did you define what transgression is as opposed to sin? Yes. Transgression is pretty much willful sin. It's like you know the truth, but you go forward with it anyway. See, we're all transgressors of the Lord in some ways, even in our ignorance, because God has his law that we go beyond. But it's sin because you don't even know that you're sinning against him. But once you recognize what your sin is, that makes you a transgressor if you go beyond the law. If the speed limit says 55 and you go 56, you're a transgressor. You see what I'm saying? Because the law states what we should be going, but we go beyond those things. I'm not saying obey all the laws of the land because they're all not of Christ, okay? We know that his law is the highest law in the land, but transgression, willful sin. What does sin mean? To miss the mark. God tells you, I want you in prayer now, and you say, Lord, I'll do it later. Sin. God tells you, wait on me and trust in me, and you believe that you should do it ahead of him. Sin. All these things are sin. You know, whatever is against God is sin. That's missing the mark. Wickedness is wickedness we're going to go into right now you know this is where we're headed but wickedness is a part of a fixed nature that is against God wickedness is I'm not going to allow you to change me I'm going to go my way and I will not change even after I know the truth even after I know what God says not to do I'm still going to go beyond and do what I want to do one because of iniquity but it can also be later wickedness because you decide to identify yourself with this. I'm a, you know, I'm a fornicator because I like it. I don't care what God says. It makes me feel good. That's wickedness. Why? Because you're not just transgressing. You're making it clear. I know he's right. But I like to do what I like to do. That so that's something we got to be aware of. Absolutely. Wickedness is not a place you get to right away. Because a lot of us are wicked before we find out the ways of the Lord and what he calls for us. But wickedness becomes a nature. It's, it's like reprobation, you may as well say, over time. So that's where we're going now, Romans uh, 1. Let's begin at verse 18. All right, Romans 1 and 18, and it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. Now, you see, that can be a state of wickedness, but this can also be, you know, they're unrighteous people. So what is the iniquity within? They withhold the truth. Watch where we're going with this. Because that which when they knew God, I mean, because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath shewed it unto them. So now they become transgressors because God is showing them what is wrong and they're going beyond. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, 
being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So what has God revealed to us? You can't get order out of disorder. You can look at God's creation and see the perfect timing, 12 parts day and night. God gives us plenty of evidence to believe him, okay? So then he says, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you see, first they know God, but they didn't glorify him as God. So what's an example of not glorifying him as God when you know him? Transgression. Transgression. It's kind of like if God tells you what is right and what we should do and we go beyond, that's not glorifying him as God because we know that he's God and we glorify him as God, then, hey, you're the boss. The buck stops at your desk. I need to obey what you're telling me to do. So they're not glorifying him as God. It says, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. So you see, when your heart becomes dark, after you know God, this is all a part of wickedness. But now we're going to go through the steps of how one gets to wickedness. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds, and to four-footed beasts, and creeping things. So let's look at this. For one, they profess themselves to be the all-knowing, the wise. And because of that, they, they're fools. But in their ignorance, well, they're not even ignorant. In their will to go beyond God, they change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image like made to corruptible man. So what's an example of that? Homosexuals can marry. Okay, we're changing the law and we're saying that this is okay. What's another example? A woman can be a pastor. Okay, there's, there's a lot of stuff, man, that goes on with this. Homosexuals will go to heaven. Hindus, Buddhists, Muslims, they all go to heaven. That's not what this word says. But you see, you want to change the image of the uncorruptible God, meaning he can't be corrupted into an image unto what? Like fallen corruptible man. I don't want to change I want God to be just like me. So I'm going to make God. God made man in his image. Fallen man makes God in his image. You see the difference? God, I'm going to make my own God. I will not obey the God of heaven. All right? So it says, Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So what does that make them here? Transgressors. Why? They know the truth. God's revealed it to them, but they're still going forward. See, now when we go back, because I want to make this clear so everybody gets it, in verse 21, it's just telling you the end result of those who weren't thankful and they become vain and their hearts become dark. That's wickedness. But now we're going through the stages. So as these people are sinning, trying to change the uncorruptible God, God gives them up to uncleanness. Now we all know no sex before marriage. We all know what God says to do because we were raised that way. But what we do with many, most of us, we went our own way and did our own thing. And because of that, God gives you up to uncleanness. Okay, and what happens? You know it just doesn't end there. There becomes other sinful appetites that arise from this particular thing. Who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. So when we start talking about homosexuals can marry. 
when we start talking about God loves everybody and everybody's going to heaven, whether they know Jesus Christ or not, that's where you go from the place of serving it and worshiping the creature. Okay, the creature tells you that these things are okay. God says it's not okay. Who will you obey in those times? This is what we're dealing with. When you think of evolution, man came from nowhere. He was once a monkey, and then he becomes a human being. That's worshiping and serving the creature. Why? Because that's a false doctrine given by man, okay, that is spread in the education system that people believe, well, we're no more than just animals. So with the transgressor that is in wickedness because they're going to continue transgressing and they don't want God to change them. Um, mm -hmm. And how would, uh, how would someone go about casting his, uh, that spirit, you know, because obviously they're, you know, they're allowing a spirit to reside in them. It's mm -hmm. just breeding grounds for a spirit, mm -hmm. just that heart. Um, so how would you go about casting that demon out if they, you know, like if they want it in them in a way? Well, if the person wants it, you can't cast it out because God is only going to separate you from your enemies, not your friends. When we give ourselves over to the enemy and we like where we are, that give, we did a teaching on that a few months ago called the legal right. I think it was on a Sunday. But you give the enemy a legal right to reign in your lives. You know, Jesus cannot separate you from those things that you want. Now, some people will say, what about the gathering demoniac? He had 2,000 demons. But what did the gathering demoniac do? He threw himself before God, okay, as a helpless man. And that's when the demon spoke to, to Jesus and Jesus set the man free. But that man had enough in him to throw himself before God to be set free. So you see, nothing can override your will. We only do what we want to do. Yes, we can be taken over by things, but if we were to decide, I'm not sinning anymore. I hate what I'm doing, and God has revealed to me that this is wrong. Nothing can override your will. That's the way God made us. Because if our will could be overridden, then that means that God can't damn you. God can't judge you if it's not your fault. Not so some things will be, um, you know, we might have help and influences in sin. But the thing is, is, is that nothing can override your will. If you decide I'm going to lose weight, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to drink, I'm tired of this. Hey, we've all been delivered from things like this. So we know that this can be true. But it's all about your will and you desiring to be set free. God can't make you want him. God can only advise you that you come in. And that's why that once saved, always saved doctrine is a damnable lie from hell because it eliminates your will and says it doesn't matter what you do, you can't lose your salvation. That's a lie. You know, so that's something that we need to pay attention to. So he says, for this cause, God gave them up unto vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. So here's the second stage. God's giving you up to vile affections. You want that filth? Go and bask in it because you're not obeying me. So you, as you can see, they're going further and further into sin. All right. So this is borderline reprobation right here because he, they're doing things that are against nature. Look what it says. For even their women. That's like a shocking statement. Like you mean to say even women are filthy now? Even women want this? Because woman by nature to me is cleaner than a man. There's something that God gave a woman that's just softer, that's just cleaner, that's just, you know, better kept. But when he says even the women, man, this is a corrupted society from the inside out that the women are not even being right. Look at verse 27. And likewise also the men. 
leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, like not likely, like unthinkably, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was me. So when you get to homosexuality, that's about as low as you can get. Not because, you know, it's, oh, it's a filthy sin. It is a filthy sin. But the bottom line is when you walk in that world, your world is now turned upside down. You think about that. Everything that God stands for, you're now looking for something else. And these things are unthinkable, unseemly. Even their women going against nature, you are borderline reprobation because you see things in a total different contrast than how God sees it. Then he says in verse 28, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, now they're wicked. You see that? At one point, God was talking to them and they were just, you know, trying to change God. So God gave them up. They did their thing. God gave them, you know, uh, again to vile affections. But now it says, and even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, don't, I don't want to hear about him. God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient, being filled with all unrighteousness. You see that? Because once you hit reprobation, there's nothing you won't do. You ever notice, man, when you're in the world, all sin does is take you further and further into depravity. You start to hit an all-time low. You start to have a desire for things that God would be totally against. So he says, being filled with all unrighteousness, fornication, wickedness, see? Covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, debate, deceit, malignity, whisperers, um, whisperers, uh, Okay, debate this. Oh, yeah, whisperers, backbiters, haters of God. You see what's on that list? Once you hit reprobation, you're a hater of God. And then it says, despiteful, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, uh, without understanding, covenant breakers, without natural affection, implacable, unmerciful, and no, uh, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which uh, commit such things are worthy of death, not only to them, not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. It's one thing to do something in ignorance, but to hate God and have pleasure in these things, that's wickedness. But you see, he says they're worthy of death. Now, does that mean we take people and go out and stone them? No. I believe what the Lord is talking about here is the second death. They cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Because these people are rotten to the core. Reprobation is like having a fruit on the table that you can tell over time it'll start to change color, is no longer ripe. And then after about two years, you can't even stand to be in the room with it. I mean, this thing is like, man, that was an apple once? So it's like being taken beyond, you know, degradation. I mean, as low as you can get. And I want to tell people out there, if you're involved in anything, that, that we're talking about tonight, you can give your life to Jesus and he can change your life. Don't think that you've gone too far with God. If you can hear this message and you feel a little remorse or guilt or fear, it is not too late for you. You throw yourself on the mercy seat and give yourself over to God and you repent of the sins that you committed and you believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He is the only way. And by his blood, 
you are saved. And if you give yourself to Christ, he will redeem you because that is what he does best. One rejoices every time somebody comes to Christ. So Amen. Christ, God is rejoicing. Heaven is rejoicing because of your salvation. Amen. It is not too late. So don't believe the lies of the devil. I want to go to um, uh, Romans chapter 12, and I'm going to uh, end it from there. So just five verses after that. <laughs> yeah. Romans chapter 12. Thank you, Jesus. Here's all we got to do, guys. For everything we said tonight, here's your solution. This is Romans 12 and 1, and I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that ye present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's look at the word conform real quick. This is um this is big, because I mean you know it's important that we understand what words mean. Some people will hear them and yeah cool, you know. But let's look at what he says about it. Yeah, you can have pride like I know what these are kind of getting. You gotta really mm -hmm. dig deep with the word. That's right. Look at the Hebrew, understand the full meaning of the word. That's right, and you'll find out that the Hebrew and the Greek have more depth to their meaning than what we read in English. So it says, okay, and be not conformed. That's G4964. The word is schismazito, schismatizo, and it means to conform oneself, one's mind and character to another's pattern, fashion oneself according to. And this is the uh, second meaning. Uh, let's see. Schema, and it means... Uh, the habitus as uh, comprising any, everything, sorry, in a person which strikes the senses, the figure bearing discourse, actions, manner of life, etc. So you see, by the way that we live or the things that we do, we could be conforming to the world. That's why we got to have the Lord pull us out of some things and make changes in our lives. You know, so he's telling us not to do these things. Don't be conformed but be transformed by the renewing of our minds that we may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's look at verse 3. He says, For I say, through the grace given unto me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Amen. So we can only believe according to the grace given to us or what level we are. I know in many cases we, we're ready to walk on water, but we can only believe according to the measure of faith that we have in God. You know, from faith to faith, glory to glory, we'll grow. Then he says in 4, for as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office. So we being many are one body in Christ, and every one members one of another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, whether prophecy, let us prophesy according to the proportion of faith. Or ministry, let us wait on our ministering, or he that teacheth on teaching, or he that exhorteth on exhortation, he that giveth 
let him do it with simplicity. He that ruleth with diligence, he that sheweth mercy with cheerfulness, let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cling, cleave to that which is good. So as you can see, when evil and good is exposed to us, it's important that we cleave to the good. Why? Because God reinforces things in his word. As we take a, take a step forward to Christ, he brings more sanctification. If we step back, then comes in the spirit of error, and the devil will begin to reinforce things. But this is all a part of a process, okay? I'm not talking an overnight thing. And thank God for that, because I'd be damned. Look at verse 10. Be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love and honor preferring one another not slothful in business fervent in spirit serving the lord rejoicing in hope patient in tribulation continuing instant in prayer Amen. what continuing instant in prayer what does that mean iniquity man what does the bible say and see i don't want people to get the impression that you've got to continue instantly in prayer right away. I want to tell you this is a growth process. Start praying longer. Start writing down things throughout the day that you see that will keep you on your knees. This is important because you see sin. You see the need for Christ. But let's go from stages, you know. Pray for five minutes, you know. And then, then you get to increase that prayer over time. But it's all about desiring Christ. i tell you one thing that works for me. When I don't want to pray, it's time for fasting okay because when i fast that flesh gets weak and i don't i can't explain what it is you guys know what i'm talking about when you don't want to to pray it's funny when you start fasting your very spirit will bring you to your knees i can't even explain what it is but for whatever reason lord i just want to draw closer why because that nasty stinking flesh that that holds all iniquity all sin and all transgression is being moved aside. We've got to get to that place in Christ. So he says, distributing to uh, the necessity of saints, given to hospitality, bless them which persecute you, bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. So we've got to go where the need is, where God calls us to do, loving your neighbor. Look at verse 17. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. This is one of my favorite verses coming up. Look at 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. So now you know the Spirit held Sam back, because Sam could have went off in the church, but as you can see, he's making it clear. You don't recompense evil for evil. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Look at verse 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. You know, sometimes we can just go so far into wanting to minister to people that we forget about what the ministry, what the people that need ministry need. You know, we got to look at the need, man. People are hungry. People are starving. People don't have Christ. Make that an avenue. But he talks about heaping coals of fire upon his head. Don't you know that um, 
this was used, I wouldn't necessarily say spiritually, but what Gandhi did and what Martin Luther King tried to do, and I'm not in the worldly people because neither one of them believed in Jesus. And that's right, I said it. Martin Luther King did not believe in Jesus Christ, okay? But the point is, is that um, the, the, um, what they would do was they thought through nonviolence they would get people to respond and do what was right. And over time, that did happen, where they began to feel bad for people because this person continued to love, and they were continuously, you know, beating them to the point to where they began to feel sorry. But we're talking in a spiritual sense, um, heaping coals of fire upon their heads that their conscience may be pricked, that people may change, that people may see the love of Christ in you and want to change. There's not enough love, man, going out. We like to tell people we love them, but we don't want to be there with them. Look at 21. Be not overcome with evil, but overcome evil with good. And what are we battling? Sin, iniquity, transgression, and wickedness. The only way that we're going to have these things in Christ is if we yield to the Lord and what he calls us to. This is all a process. Sanctification is a process, but we've got to be willing as vessels to yield ourselves to that process. If not, then we begin to go in other directions, which can lead to, you know, wickedness. So we don't want to be that way. That's why in the end, when they talk about who will accept the mark and who won't, he said, man, have the name of the beast or the number of his name. They'll either take the mark, which will, I believe, transform the individual with the implantable egg, or you can have the name of the beast. Do you identify with him? Okay, are you under his banner? or the number of his name. Do you share his nature? Because when the mark is instituted, all people are going to do is serve who they believe by nature. It's not going to be something where you think, man, I got to be tricked into it. Oh, no. What's in you is going to come out on that day. You only Some people are going to hold out, for, but for so long. For a month, I won't take the mark, but now things are getting desperate. My wife wants to leave. The kids are, you know, hungry. Man, I'm selling all my chips. Give me the mark. And you're going to know you're serving Satan. But you see, Satan controls the physical realm. And that's why we've got to die out to self that Jesus Christ could be in us. Jesus said, man, the ruler of this world comes, got nothing in me. As we walk with Christ, we've got to be the same. Because if Jesus would have, I mean, think about this. If Christ is supposed to live in us, okay, and he's not living in us fully. What do you think is going to happen if Jesus would have let the devil have a little piece of iniquity? Just a little time for myself. Just a little something for me. Aside from what the Father wanted. Then Jesus' salvation wouldn't have been complete. Because there would have been disobedience in the midst. Don't think that we can only believe Jesus 80% of the time when the mark is instituted. That we won't give ourselves to the enemy. We've got to be dead to self and alive to Christ. That he can walk this thing out. Does the mark continue after Jesus comes? At the coming of Christ? No, yeah. he's coming to eradicate everything. So, yeah. like uh, the two witnesses after Jesus comes, right? Mm -hmm. So the people that didn't accept God, like they see Jesus and they, 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 they want God. Or mm -hmm. they realize it's a reality. And uh, they want God after that. And then the two witnesses comes or whatever. And then is there like a, is Jesus going to? Well, there's, there's different things because God's wrath, certain things are going to happen where it says he kills a third of the people, you know, that are, that are cursing him and are against him. And I think when he does that a third, he's still giving a last minute call for some people to say, you need to get in here. 
You, you see what I'm saying? Before I destroy all of this, well, I don't want to be one of that, you know, no, no, the, no. the two thirds left but trying do, to figure out if do, I want. Do they take the mark though? Those people? Yeah. I don't believe they do. I, I don't think they are totally given over, but you cannot take the mark and be saved because Revelation 14 speaks against that. I know John MacArthur is pulling that. You can take the mark and still be saved. There's nowhere in scripture that supports that. So some of these people may be, you know, it doesn't say that those people will come to Christ. Oh. It says he kills a third with boulders and different things. And what did he say? They'll still be shaking their fists, cursing God in the heavens. So God will even see what's going on and then just eradicates the whole thing. But these people will be so wicked to the core that they'll hate God. And, and once you take that mark, you're damned. So the two-third, they're not... The other two-thirds that are there, I think he's just slowly pouring out the bowls and the vials because all of them has to be fulfilled. If he pours out one bowl and it takes care of everything, then there's no need to pour the rest of the bowls. So I think this is just God's eternal judgment for the wicked. But that's why he gets to the place that those that are wicked, let them be wicked still. Those that are filthy, let them be filthy still. Because there's going to come a point where it says... He will separate the sheep from the goats, those who believe and those who won't. Will everybody have the mark at the coming of Christ that's not of Christ? That I can't tell you, you know. But one thing I know for sure is when he comes back, you better have the seal of Christ in your forehead. And if you can't have the seal of Christ being of the spirit of Antichrist, because the devil is coming to seal those that are there. One thing I do know is the bride of Christ in Revelation 17 he will be around. The bride of Christ will be in the midst, still trying to, you know, get to people in Christ, still being persecuted, still doing what's necessary. That's Revelation 18, actually. And then comes Revelation 19, the coming of Christ. So he says when he tells his people come out of her, then there's still means to be saved. But I don't believe that any of those people would have received the mark. Because once you receive the mark, you've already given your allegiance to that which is. And it made clear that what Jesus is going to do in Revelation 14, he says it will be, what is it, 184 miles of blood. I mean, like um, from um, the horse's bridle onto the ground. I think for, for several miles, God is going to come and wipe all of this out. So, you know, people better decide who they're with. Because, you see, none of us knows each day is promised to us or not. We don't know when we're going to get a second chance to make it right with him. So, you know, it's not a bad message to preach on the end times because, you know, how can the end times message be wrong? You know, the end of your life symbolizes your end time. We act like we're all going to be here for the coming of Christ. You're going to be 960 and then we're going to all see what's going on. Oh, no. You got 80 days left, man. Exactly. Your day can end tonight and you got to find out where you are in Christ. So I'm not going to act like I know how everything is going to play out. I do believe that there will be people to save up until the coming of Christ. But I do believe there will be many that will receive the mark that will be damned that won't make it. Because Jesus never tells us to cease. What does he say when the six horses, I mean the four horses come? Those who were beheaded for the name of Christ, he told them, rest on now, come on with me. And he gave each of them white robes for their service with Christ. So I think we're going to be trying to win souls up until the very end. Whoever may be left, whoever may be down in a cave somewhere, hiding from everything that's up here, either way, God is going to reach his people. But for those who don't want it, you receive that mark, you're damned. You know, because it's the mark of the beast, and it will be planted in the individual. You know, it's, it's crazy stuff. Would there be a possibility there's someone that 
wants God because he realizes that God is real after Jesus came. But, you know, he just he just can't receive the mark. Uh, mm-hmm. That's it. But, but from what I heard from people that have already, um, people that know the experts, the technology that's going into it, they said that, this mark. The mark. I was like, wait, uh, well, some of them, I believe, have already, but they won't be able to, th- this mark won't allow you to pray. It will truly be a part of your nature that you'll become a hater of God overnight once you've received it. That'll be it. And God's not going to want you because you've chosen. You see what I'm saying? God's going to seal his that they won't be turned, but then there'll be others that will receive it. Hey, man, that's your allegiance. I'm going to that call, man. I'm not going to wait till the second. There's mm-hmm. that verse that says that uh, you wished you could die, but you can't. You can't that's die. right. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's probably because once you take that mark. That's like, right. Absolutely. Yeah. They said they will look. They will seek death, and death will flee from them. Yeah. Like, uh, uh-uh, uh, this is what you wanted. So you're now a slave to Satan. Because it's an angel, angel of death. Because he right. won't be there. So. Yeah, that's something to think about. So yeah, man, you know, it's all about sin, iniquity, transgression, and wickedness. Don't let it rule our lives. Let's give our lives to Christ, so that we can be filled with the Spirit. Let's go to Psalm 118. I read this last night, and I shared it with a few people because uh, once I read it, I I tell you, I mean, all the songs are powerful, but to me, this one here just really spoke volumes about it. It's like, I read it, and it, it was like the Lord spoke to me, no matter what you're going through in your life, no matter, Psalm 118, um, no matter the issues that we have, it's like once you read this psalm, you realize how very minute they become. And it's not that the Lord doesn't care about what we're going through. It's just trying to keep everything in perspective. Just like with tonight's lesson and, and, and trusting in the Lord and making sure that we don't have iniquity within us to not trust in Him. All right, so Psalm 118, verse 1. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for He is good, because His mercy endureth forever. Let Israel now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let the house of Aaron now say that his mercy endureth forever. Let them that fear the Lord say that his mercy endureth forever. All of us know in here that the Lord's mercy endures forever. Because it's just like everything that we've gone through in our life, especially before we were saved. And it's like the Lord brings to my remembrance, not to dwell on it, but occasionally he brings into my remembrance to think who I was before I got saved and who... The Lord is trans- continuously transforming me into after I'm saved. And so he's like, you know, I'm not remem- reminding of you this, this of you to put you down, but it's more like a humbling stage just to let me know that there's so many other bigger things in this world besides what I'm going through. Verse 5, I called upon the name of the Lord in distress. The Lord answered me and set me in a large place. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do unto me? And that's so true. That's something we talk about all the time. If the Lord's on our side, if he's telling us to go and witness to people at work or out in the street or at the market, wherever, the Lord's on our side. What can man do unto us? Really, what, what can he do to us, you know? Amen. Verse 7, The Lord taketh my part with them that help me. Therefore shall I see my desire upon them that hate me. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. Why is this? It's because the Lord will never fail us. He'll never Amen. hurt us. He'll never leave us. But we as fallen man, we, you know, we cannot put our trust in each other because of the fact that we still have that 
even though we are saved and we are working towards sanctification, we still have that sinful, fallen man nature state within us that causes that time to hurt people. And Jesus will never do that. Verse 9. It is better to trust in the Lord to, than to put confidence in princes. All nations can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord will I destroy them. They can pass me about, yea, they can pass me about, but in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. They can pass me about like bees, they quenched as the fire of thorns, for in the name of the Lord I will destroy them. And it's so interesting to read these few verses right here because today we don't deal with the physical you know, I'm going to destroy somebody with a sword. But what are we still dealing with? Imagination. We're still dealing with demons. We're still dealing with, you know, Satan's forces and all that kind of stuff that plagues us. But in the name of the Lord, these things can be destroyed. That's right. Amen. Verse, exactly. Uh, verse 14. Oh, verse 13. Thou hast thrust me sore at that I might fall. But the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and song and has become my salvation. The voice of rejoice, rejoicing and salvation is in the tabernacle of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. The right hand of the Lord is exalted. The right hand of the Lord doeth valiantly. I shall not die but live and declare the works of the Lord. The, the, the Lord hath chastened me sore. But hath not given me over unto death. And that verse right there, I just, I love it when I read it because it's like, we want to be chastened by the Lord. When we do something wrong, we actually want to be chastened by the Lord. Because if we don't, what's going to happen? We don't want to be given over to death. We don't want to be given over to that side of things. So it's like, given over to death, people are like, what does that mean? He's going to have me die? He's going to give you over to your sin. He's going to give you over to your iniquity. He's going to give you over to your transgression. He's going to give you over to your wickedness. Everything that we talked about tonight. And that's what we don't want. We want the Lord to chasten us. That way we know that he still loves us and cares about us. Verse 19. Open to me the gates of righteousness. I will go into them. And I will praise the Lord. This gate of the Lord into which the righteous shall enter. I will praise thee for thou hast heard me and art become my salvation. The stone which the builders refuse is become the head stone of the corner. That's Jesus Christ. This is the Lord's doings. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord hath made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. Save now, I beseech thee, O Lord. O Lord, I beseech thee. Send now prosperity. Blessed be he that cometh in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you out of the house of the Lord. God is the Lord which hath shewed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Thou art my God, and I will praise thee. Thou art my God, I will exalt thee. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. Amen. And I read that psalm last night, and I just I felt this spirit just come off of me, and I just wanted to praise the Lord, because it, it really... Everything that he's talking about tonight, the spirit brought forward, everything that we're going through, it just have to, we all have to remember, this is something the Lord's been getting on to me about lately, it's just that, what is bigger in life? Is God bigger than the things that we're going through? You know, we just got to stay focused on him and, and to do his will and everything that he wants us to have, he will provide for us. But we got to remember God's outside of time and space and just got to wait on him. So, Amen. Yeah. I want to bring up a point too. What was happening to Deborah was going through my mind, verse 24, when it says, let us rejoice and be glad. Deborah was humming her little 
song or whatever. I was thinking of the song. Oh, yeah, that's where they got yeah. the song. Whatever, this like is that. The and, then, and then there's verse um, 27 where it says, uh, God is the Lord, which hath shewed us light. Bind the sacrifice with cords, even unto the horns of the altar. Mm -hmm. Like, in other words, with us presenting our bodies that living sacrifice, sacrifice. Yeah. man, bind yourself to God and let Him work on us. Exactly. So that's all I had. Amen. Right. No one else has anything to add or questions or anything. Uh, we can go we can pray out now. Yeah. And volunteers. Thank you, Lord, for forgiving us of our sins. We, we receive your forgiveness. Lord, forgive us of our transgressions, our iniquities, wickedness. Rip these things out of us, Lord. Help us go forward and, and talk to other people and talk to them about you, Lord. Speak through us so we can truly pass on your true word. And uh, have them come to you, Lord. And, uh, just help us all. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.